Thank you, Wade. Hey, great to be here. Good morning, everyone. Yeah, the, um, so actually, our Young Life office is just down the road, so we're practically neighbors. And uh, so I get to have breakfast with Wade quite a lot. He takes me to this fancy place called Shangwan Market, uh, the cooked food section. I feel so special whenever I go there. $20 and we're all full. And uh, hey, it's just a joy to be able to be here. I've, I've admired your church from afar for a long time. Huge fans, uh, first of Steve and now of Wade, and it's just a joy to be here. And uh, he, as he said, I, I'm uh, director of Young Life, which is an, a missions organization that goes to schools and universities to spread the gospel. Uh, but I'm also, I have a part-time gig, which is I'm a, uh, a pastor at Gong Fok Tang, which is just also down the road in Admiralty. If you want to find out about any of those things, please come and talk to me afterwards. But today I'm particularly excited because you guys are going through this series on prayer. And today uh, I'm going to be talking about that too. And prayer is an interesting one for me because and actually I love talking about prayer, but mostly because I don't feel as though I'm very good at it. Do you, know, do you know you meet those people who pray and they just seem to get it? When they just close their eyes and they just start praying and they can pray forever. And you're like, how do you do that? After about 60 seconds, I start getting like, my mind's drifting. I get hungry. I get sleepy. And I'm thinking, how do we do that? But you know what? Prayer is so important. And every time I get to share about prayer, I find it a blessing because then it actually helps me. It helps me work on my prayer life because prayer truly is important. And I'm so glad that you guys as a church are doing it together. Church just should pray. And often actually I think, I personally think it's less important how many people turn up to a Sunday morning, which is still important, but actually the true indicator of how healthy a church is is how many people gather to pray together, how many people are committed to speaking to the Lord together. I think it's on a personal level as well. Actually, if you want to ask yourself, hey, how am I doing spiritually? How's your soul? You can't really go too far from, hey, how's your prayer life? How, how much are you talking to God? How much are you spending time with God? This is something else that always convicts me is if there was someone who didn't know anything about God, who hadn't heard of God, who hadn't been in a church before, and they sat in the room or they were a fly on the wall listening to my prayers, what kind of God would I be painting for them? What kind of picture of God would I be presenting to them if they didn't know anything about God themselves? And sometimes I think, gosh, if someone listened to my prayers, what they would get from God is that he is this genie that grants my requests, that is fully concerned about my well-being and my welfare. But really, that's not the case, right? Because we know that prayer is not just about petition. It's not just about asking for things. It's about connection. It's about connecting with God. And Wade talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that it's not so much about conversation. It's about communion. It's about actually being together, recognizing that God is with us all the time. But prayer is hard. I don't know if you find that. Prayer is hard. Spending time alone with God is hard. But I'm, I'm always encouraged by this quote that says, hey, the best things in life are never easy. The best things in life are never easy. And prayer is one of those things. It's one of the best things, but it's not easy. I'm a, I'm a basketball fan, so I like watching the NBA. And we've had a great couple of weeks of watching and one of the coaches of the finals, a guy called Monty Williams, uh, he, but they, they filmed him in the changing rooms giving a, a pep talk to his team. And he says, hey, everything that you ever wanted is on the other side of hard. Everything that you ever wanted is on the other side of hard. And I think that's what prayer is. Everything that we've ever wanted is on the other side of prayer. Everything we, we ever wanted, ever needed is on the other side of prayer. But it's hard. I find great comfort in the fact that actually the disciples 
who actually spent time with Jesus, who actually learned from him and followed him, also found it hard. Again, I think Wade talked about this. The disciples, they, they grew up in Jewish culture, tradition. They knew how to pray, and we know how to pray as well before dinner, maybe before we go to sleep. Maybe, maybe that's the very thing that sends us to sleep. And we know, we, we know how to pray, God, thank you for the food, thank you for what we're about to receive. But then the disciples felt this too. They knew how to pray, but then they meet this guy. They meet this guy called Jesus. And this guy seems, he's built different. He acts differently. He talks differently to God. And it's funny because they watch him and he goes away all the time and he goes and spends time and prays in a, in a, in a way that's different to them. And finally, finally, one of them plucks up the courage. And this is the version of Luke. And one of them asks him, Jesus, teach us how to pray. You're doing something completely different to us. Teach us how to pray. I always find this interesting because I'm like, why didn't Jesus teach them how to pray at the very beginning? Because actually he appoints the 12, he sends them out, he, they do all these other things, but he doesn't teach them how to pray. It's only when one of them asks, does he then tell them. And it makes me think, maybe it's because when it comes to prayer, you have to want it yourself. You have to yearn for it yourself. And prayer, again, is not about petition. It's about connection. And so then Jesus says, okay, you want to know how to pray? Well, then pray like this. Pray like this. And it's interesting because then he shares the Lord's Prayer, which technically speaking isn't Jesus' prayer. Jesus' prayer is found in John 17, that, that, where he's actually praying to God himself. This is the Lord's Prayer that he's teaching to the disciples. And I was wrestling with this, and, uh, and Johnny asked me, hey, I would love to hear, I can't wait to hear what you're going to do about this Lord's Prayer talk. Because I'm like, it's a, it's a prayer that you all know. Everyone knows this. We're all taught to recite it. And I was, as I was praying this prayer, and I pray this prayer at least two times a day, once with my kids and once with my wife. And I'm like, what is there that we can glean from this prayer that we all know so well? This Lord's Prayer that we have here. What is it that we can gain from it? And the thing that kept coming back to me, which is in line with what you guys have been talking about, is this idea of connection. This prayer reeks of connection. This is about God wanting to connect with us. And I wanted to break this down a little bit for you. And maybe you've heard of all this before because we all know the Lord's Prayer, but I hope that in some way there's part of this that maybe can bless your own prayer life, that can help you really foster and nurture your connection with God. Is that good? Hey, so the first thing is this. Our Father. What does this tell me about prayer? What does this tell me about connection? It tells me one thing. First of all, it starts with the first word, our. Jesus is saying, if you want to connect to me, you also have to connect to each other. It's plural. You come to me together. And of course, I don't need, I'm preaching to the choir here. I'm preaching at community church. And so I, I realized prayer very much is about community. It's about us coming to God together. Time and time again in scripture, we see God doing this. He's saying, if you want to connect to me, you need to connect to each other. It's, a, it's one and the same. If there's, if there's the greatest commandment, if you read the whole Bible and you forget all of it, and, there's the, and I want you to remember one thing, what's the one thing I want you to remember? To love God and love people. You can't do one without the other. You can't love God without loving people. Once you love God, you have to love people. And so we need to be connected. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about this, that we're all part of the body. We're all different parts of the body. We're made differently, but we all should be connected. So when we're talking about connection with God, we can't be reluctant in meeting. Hebrews 10 talks about this. Just 
don't neglect meeting each other, but to stir each other up in, in love, in good works. And these last two years, our society, all of us have just been drifting further and further apart. We can't meet for all sorts of different reasons. But Jesus, in this prayer, shows us that community is so important. That actually, if you're struggling to pray, the first thing you should do is, as that video just said, find people to pray with. I find it easier when I pray with other people. And that's, a, that's such a key part that we were meant to be together. In order to connect to God, we have to connect to each other. It's one and the same. They come together. So that's community. The second thing is our Father. So first it's this sense of community, and then there's the second sense of intimacy. He doesn't say, hey, pray, my God, my King, my Lord. And he says, no, call me Father. He ups the ante. He says, there's an intimate level that I want to have with you in our relationship. That I want, to be, I want you to know how close I want to be with you. Abba, Father means Daddy. He wants, he wants you to talk to him and say, hey, Daddy. Now, we all know this, and we all know conceptually that he is our Father, but then, do we truly understand it? Do we act as though he really, truly is our Father? Often our own earthly experience, expectations of Father, maybe our own relationship with our Father, influences and impacts the way we see our Father in heaven. And that's something that we need to think about, that we need to reflect on. What does it mean that he really is our Father? This King of the universe, this Alpha and Omega, this creator of everything, is our Father and he desires connection with us. My children, when they're eight and four, and whenever they want something, they'll go, Baba, Daddy. And my daughter has no hesitation to ask me for anything in the world. Anything and everything. She wants it and she wants it now. I can't give her everything. But you see, there's a part of her that she knows that because I'm her father, because I love her, I am willing to give what's best for her. Matthew 7 talks about this. Ask and you will receive. What, what good father would deprive their children of good things? And so therefore, this heavenly father is ready to give, ready to, ready to bless. But we have to ask. We have, the connection that we have with him needs to be one of father and child. I'm, I'm paraphrasing a quote that I saw recently, but it's the nature of the Christian life is to ask is to ask a father in heaven, to ask for help, to ask to be rescued, to ask for support, to ask for him to be in our lives. Our father in heaven, he is our daddy in heaven, telling us that our citizenship is in heaven. We may be in this world, but we are not of this world. So this level of community, there's this degree of intimacy that should exist in our prayers. And then it goes into the next one, which is, Hallowed be your name. Hallowed. Not a word that we use very often, right? The most recent time that I've read the word hallows is growing up reading the Harry Potter series, and the final book is called The Deathly Hallows. Some of you are judging me now because you think I, I, I read Harry Potter. Uh, I love Harry Potter. Um, and this is idea of just what, what does hallowed mean? When we say that, hallowed be your name, we're saying, God, you are holy. Hallowed means to make holy. It means that you are something that's far beyond anything that I can ever imagine. Hallowed be your name. Do we reflect on that? 
So we have this father that desires intimacy, but the word straight after father is hallowed, that really portrays this sovereignty in God, that he is holy, that he is something that we can't imagine, that actually something that we should be terrified of. He is that powerful. I'm reminded of uh, one, another uh, story book that I used to love reading in the Chronicles of Narnia. And one of the girls there, uh, Lucy, would ask uh, Mr. Beaver, a talking beaver, because it's a storybook. And, uh, th- and he said, who is this Aslan? And Aslan is this lion that represents God. Who is this Aslan? And Lucy's asking, this little girl's asking this Mr. Beaver. And she's, she's saying, is he, is he safe? Is he safe? And then uh, Mr. Beaver says, oh, no, no, no. Aslan is not safe. In fact, he's very dangerous. He's very powerful. But he is good. So you can rest assured. And how often do we think about that? That God is really that powerful. We look at Revelation 4. We see this scene where there's this throne where God sits. And we see these four magical, terrifying creatures with eyes all over their body. We see, we see seats around, 24 seats around where the elders wearing crowns are sitting. And this just majestic scene. But what are they all doing? They're all bowing down, worshipping God. Saying, holy, holy, holy are you, Lord. There's this reverence that sometimes we forget. There's this, there's this magnitude of who God is. There's this holiness. Hallowed be your name. And God desires his intimacy so that you can talk to him whenever you want to, that you have this connection with him. But we also have to remember the sovereignty of God, how big he truly is. Because when we truly understand how big he is, we would be grateful for that connection. We as humans, we need connection. We love seeing that word connection. Whenever we connect to Wi-Fi and our phones say connected, it makes us happy, right? It's satisfying. Connection means two things that are brought together and a real link is established. And we all know how satisfying it is to be connected to strong, fast Wi-Fi. But what we're seeing here is that we are connected to the most powerful force in the universe. Shouldn't we be even more excited? Shouldn't we be even more grateful? Shouldn't we want to spend more time with this powerful force? who desires connection with us. And we mustn't take it for granted. You see, in the Old Testament, Moses wants to see God. And God says, hey, you can't see me. Because if you see me, if you saw me in my full glory, what would happen to you? You would die. That's, that's the magic. That's the holiness of God. And actually, when we recognize that, when we remember the sovereignty of God, it helps to be grateful for the connection. It impacts the way we speak to him. That this sovereign God also desires intimacy with us. And then your kingdom come, your will be done. Did I put that there? Your kingdom come and your will be done. The word kingdom there is talking about reign. That What you're asking for is, God, would you reign in my life? Would you come into my life? Would you be the ruler? Imagine, imagine if Jesus truly had the wheel to your life. If he truly was in control. If he truly was in control of this church, if he truly was in control of your family, of this city, of this world, imagine what it would be like if Jesus truly did reign, if it really was his kingdom that was in rule. And that's what we're praying for here. We're praying that he would reign at the very least in our lives. And of course, he's already here. He's already here, and theologians would call this already but not yet. 
And so this idea that, hey, the lights are on, but I've, we've just got our eyes closed. So it doesn't mean the light's not there if I can't see it, but it just means what we're praying for is that God would open our eyes so that he would see that the kingdom is already here and that we're praying for his will to be done and not ours. And this is the key. So often when we pray, we're praying for God to, to submit to our will. Hey, God, can you give me the job that I want? Can you give me the spouse that I want? Can you make that, the weather that day nice because I booked the junk boat to go out? Can, I, can, I, can, can you get me this? Can you give me that? Can you do this? Can you do that? But that's not really what prayer is about. In fact, we've gotten this far in the prayer and there's nothing about us asking for our own things just yet. But prayer is not so much about us submitting our requests, but it's about us shaping our hearts around his. It's kind of saying, God, you know what? I want all these other things, but, I, but my, first and foremost, I just want you. Matthew 6, seek him first and everything else will be added. I just want you, God. So can you change my heart so that I just want you first and foremost? The psalmist says this, delight in the Lord and he will grant you the desires of your heart. Uh, it's, it's our job just to delight in him. Just, God, just show me how to love you. Show me how to be excited about the things that you have, uh, you've created, that you've blessed us. Everything is about you. It's your will to be done and not mine. Your thoughts and your ways are much higher than ours. And when we are connected to God, we will want what he wants. We, we will see as he sees and our hearts will break as his heart breaks. And it's still all about connection. And finally, we get to the point where we're just about halfway in the prayer and we're finally allowed to do what we really want to do, which is make our requests. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us, again, connection with each other. It's, it's give us, give us all. Martin Luther would say that there's a social dimension to this prayer, that you're actually praying for a, a social dimension. You're praying almost for social justice. It's give us this day our daily bread. And in order for that to happen, there needs to be a thriving economy. In order for that to happen, there needs to be employment opportunities. In order for that to happen, there needs to be social justice. So do we realize what we're praying for here? We're praying that God, would you give us this day our daily bread? Do you realize that we can't pray this prayer without being generous ourselves? We can't pray this prayer whilst hoarding everything for ourselves. Because what we're saying is here, hey God, we are all your children. So give us this day our daily bread. Give it to all of us. That we're recognizing again that in order to be connected to God, we have to be connected to each other. Give us this day our daily bread. Not give us this day our yearly bread. Give us enough to last forever. Give us this day our daily bread. So we first had community, and then we had in the intimacy of God, and then we had reminded of the sovereignty of God, and now we're reminded about our own dependency. That, God, give us this day our daily bread. I need you every day. Give me just enough for today. There's that song, Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. What, what God's saying here is, you can't come, and, and we love doing this, whenever, whenever there's blessing, hey, God, give me more, just so I can so, store up for a rainy day, just, just so I can more. You know the problem with that is, when we, when we think that we can store up more and more, we start to lose our reliance, our dependency on God. We start to get disconnected. You know, I talked about Wi-Fi. When we go into a hotel, when we go on holiday, we, of course, the, one of the first things we do these days is connect to the Wi-Fi. Make sure it's all there. There's some, you know what's the annoying thing about hotel Wi-Fis? 
It makes you connect to her. You have to put in your surname, you have to put in your room number, and then you get it for 24 hours. And the next time you come in again, you have to reconnect. And I think that's what we should be doing as believers. That we can't assume that once we've connected one time, that one year ago, that, that experience that I had at camp 10 years ago, once I connected that once, that's enough to last me for the rest of my life. No, that's not how it works. This prayer is showing us that he need, we need to go to him on a daily basis to go reconnect again. So I don't know if, if there are any of us here who actually, we did once connect. And we did once have this strong Wi-Fi. But over the years, it's been getting weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker. The encouragement here is go back to him again. You must reconnect. We need to reconnect. And give us this day our daily bread. Not give us this day our daily portion of sirloin surf and turf, sashimi, lobster. Give us this day our daily bread. Give me not necessarily what I want, but what I need. Not what I want, but what I need. Reminds me of Proverbs 30 that says, give me neither poverty nor riches, lest I be so full that I would deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal. It's this idea that, God, just give us, give us the food that we need. You see, when we get too full, when he gives us too much, we start thinking, oh, actually, this is all our doing. This is, everything that I have is because of me. Who is God? I, I'm God. I don't need God. Or let us be so poor and so hungry that we would resent him, that we would be forced to steal. Let us be disconnected. Again, it's about connection. Give us this day our daily bread. Let me be connected to you because I am dependent on you every single minute, every single hour, every single day. Give us this day our daily bread. And then, forgive us as we forgive others. This, this, this sense of humility that we need to display to God, that we need to show in our hearts. It's, it's, again, it's God saying, hey, if you want to connect with me, you have to connect with others. You cannot sever your ties with other people. This is Jesus finds this part so important. In the version in Matthew, once he finishes the prayer, he circles back to it. He goes back to it, just like when your parents say something to you that's very important. Once they finish saying, they repeat it again. And he say, hey, I've just taught you how to pray now. I've given you the template, but let me just circle back on the one thing that's really important. You must forgive. Because that's the nature of the gospel, that you forgive others. Why? Because God forgave you. And if you aren't willing to let go, God can't let you go. You know what we're saying here when we're praying that line, forgive us as we forgive us? We're saying, what we're actually doing is this. Hey, God, here's the measuring stick that I use for everyone else. Take it and measure me with it. And this is a hard one. This is a hard one because this is one that even those of us who have believed for a very, very long time, we need to remind ourselves constantly and ask God to search our hearts, test our thoughts. Is there any offensive way in us? Why? Because if we know, if we have any kind of unforgiveness, any kind of bitterness at someone else, if there's any kind of disconnect with other people, we lose that connection with God. And that is so, so important that we need to remember that, that we actually need to be filled with God's grace and mercy in regard to that. That's the gospel. That's it. That's the message of the gospel. Tim Keller would say this. He would say, the gospel is that we are far worse than we ever imagined, but far more loved than we ever dared dream. 
We are far worse than we ever imagined, but far more loved than we ever dared dream. So freely as we've, re- as we've received forgiveness freely from God, we must also forgive. That is the key. And it's at this point, I always have, just have to ask all of us, is there any level of bitterness or unforgiveness in your heart, in my heart? Because that's the thing that could throw this whole prayer off. Because if we don't have that, if we don't have the forgiveness, if we haven't been able to let go, we won't be able to embrace God. Forgive us as we forgive others. And then the final part is this. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, God himself, Scripture tells us, he just, God's not the one that leads us to temptation. But to be fair, I can do that myself, thank you very much. I lead myself into temptation often. And what we're saying here is, God, you know what? Don't save me from myself. Lead, you lead me. Because when I lead myself, things go wrong. God, you lead me. Psalm 23, verse 3 says this, just, just lead me in the paths of righteousness, which simply just means lead me on down the right paths. God, you, Jesus, you take the wheel. I want to be connected to you. I want to follow you. And then deliver us from evil. It's recognizing our vulnerability in all of this. The vulnerability that, God, we need you. The forces around are so much stronger than us. And it's that Psalm 23 again. So lead me in the path of righteousness. And then verse 5 says, or then verse 4 is, you know, lead me as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Be with me so I can fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And then verse 5 says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That's why we don't have to fear evil, because God isn't afraid of our enemies. And what's, what, what's that verse saying there, that he prepares a table before me in the presence of our enemies? He's saying, whatever you're going through, whatever evil that you are having to face, God say, hey, take a seat. Hey, sit down. Can you imagine that? That in the presence of everything that you're facing, God's saying, hey, take a seat. He's saying, hey, keep your eyes on me. And that's what we're praying. We're saying, God, deliver us from evil because we are weak against the things of this world and not of this world. We, we, are, we are powerless against them, yet our eyes remain on you. And so we're praying that prayer. We say, hey, God, you be the one that lead us, leads us. You, we can, we can only do this if you protect us. Again, it's that connection there. And that's really the end of the prayer, right? I mean, that's the whole prayer. But of course, we're used to a few more things at the end. You know, oh, but where's that bit that says, oh, yours is the power of the kingdom and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Of course, that was only in some manuscripts, but not enough to actually for us to put into the versions in Matthew and Luke. But actually, it's also without a doubt that early church fathers would have prayed that final doxology. Really? And it's just this beautiful way to basically start the prayer where we first began. It's where we started with our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. You alone are holy. You, you are just far above anything that we could ever imagine. And then it's going back and finishing, hey, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. It's again showing us just the, the, the greatness of God. And it finishes that way. And again, it's just this idea, this whole prayer is God desiring connection with you, with me. And what about that other bit? Where we, whenever we pray, we say, oh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That's not in here either. But you know what that is? That's just this beautiful reminder that we only get to pray because of Jesus. 
John Calvin would say this, to even pray, to even utter the words, our Father, is to pray in Jesus' name. Do we get that? The fact that we can even call this most powerful force in the universe, Daddy, is to pray in Jesus' name. It's recognizing that actually, so we go all the way back to our Father here, that actually all of this is about our connection with him. And when we pray our Father, we're saying, hey, because of what Jesus did, the veil is now torn in two. We were once disconnected. We were once foreign. We were once, we were once hostile to God. We were once enemies. But now we are friends. Now we are children. This whole prayer can be summed up with God is our Father. We are his children because of what Jesus did. So therefore, we can boldly ask. We can boldly approach this throne because of what Jesus did for us. Because Jesus desires connection with us to the point where he didn't count equality with God something to be grasped, yet he emptied himself. He was obedient to his Father, even to the point of death, even to the point of death on the cross, so that you and I can, one, be connected to each other, and that we can also be connected with him. And this prayer shows us that. So brothers and sisters, it's, this prayer is important. This offers us the secret source, the recipe, because it shows us that God desires connection with us to the point where he would pursue us. And so for us, let us desire that connection with him. Every time we sit down and we think, oh, this is so hard, remind yourself, everything that you've ever wanted is on the other side of hard. Everything that you've ever needed is on the other side of prayer. Because once you have that connection, that, that connection with Jesus, everything else can be counted as loss. That surpassing worth of knowing Jesus puts everything else to this side. Because that is all that we need. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for teaching us how to pray. Lord, we know that this template this is for us to be able to connect with you. And so we pray like this. We pray in community. We draw close to you because that's the intimacy that you desire. We remember, we are grateful that the sovereign being such as yourself, still desires connection with us. We remind ourselves of our dependency on you. And we come before you with humility, with grateful hearts. And we open ourselves up, remind ourselves of our vulnerability, that we need you to protect us, that we need you to lead us. And Lord, we do. We do want connection with you. So Spirit, just be with us and Make yourself known to us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.